Our guest today is 4th District Oklahoma Congressman Tom Cole in the studio. Tom, thanks for coming in. It's hey, good to it's see you. it's just nice to escape the house and the office and be out with people again. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, locked in the state to, at the nation's capital for a while, I guess. <laughs> it, uh, it's been pretty closed up for a long yeah. time. You know, you can't uh, – used to this time of year, there's a lot of visitors coming. No visitors in the Capitol building right now or uh, any of the offices other than staff. And so – uh, Washington is uh, eerily quiet, and uh, the streets are very empty. So uh, it's coming back to life a little bit, but Oklahoma's a lot more open than Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, of course, that's a, the, the COVID situation is the big thing right now in Oklahoma. Back open for businesses, the governor likes to say, and it seems to be doing really, really well, and maybe ahead of the curve as far as the nation We really is are concerned. ahead of the curve. I mean, our unemployment rate is lower than the national average. Our vaccination rate is higher. We have got off the mark really quick. Now, it's slowed down more than any of us would like, and I would urge people, if they haven't taken a vaccination, I hope you will. Uh, they're widely available and now. And you've got yours? I, I absolutely yeah. did. Um, and uh, my wife got hers as well. And uh, my son, who's a teacher in the Moore system, has gotten his. So uh, we're a b- big believer in that. And, uh, again, I hope people will do it because I think it's good for them, good for their family, and good for the community. And let's let's talk about what's happening at the, at the Capitol these days. And we've had the transition to, uh, to the new presidency with the Biden administration. And you were on the... Uh, House floor last week with the, his address to the, the joint session of Congress and one of the few congressmen that were able to uh, actually be in attendance, I guess. Yeah, they really they they normally there's uh, well over a thousand, usually twelve to fourteen hundred people between the gallery and on the floor. I mean the diplomatic corps there, Supreme Court, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, nearly every member of Congress. So it's a big deal, and uh, this time it was limited in the entire chamber to two hundred. That includes the gallery as well as the floor. So um, uh, there, you know, only uh, 25 members uh, from each side in the House. Uh, then any senator could come, and then you had a few other dignitaries. So it was a, uh, it was pretty lucky to to get there. And it was a, again, it's a great privilege to be there. Anytime any president speaking to the Congress, you're lucky to do it. I got to be part of the escort, uh, the official escort, which means you go out and and meet with the president in the speaker's ceremonial office, and then you bring him in. Uh, to the chamber and uh, gives you a chance to get a picture and uh, and to visit quickly with the president. Although we uh, we both had masks on, had to stay six feet apart, yeah. so it's not not exactly a compelling photo. <laughs> uh, but we did have a chance to visit a minute and then uh, listen to the speech, and uh, we'll go from there. But uh, it's been an interesting hundred days as he's opened up the administration. So talk about uh, trying to get to know the Biden administration and how you're well, trying to get Oklahoma, you know. Uh, get Oklahoma's voice heard. Well, uh, you know, I actually know the vice president reasonably well, oh, uh-huh. uh, you know, because he was the vice president. And uh, there are a couple of initiatives we worked together on. One's the so-called cancer moonshot. That's very important to him, having lost a son to cancer. Uh, he's actually a big supporter of the National Institute of Health and Center for Disease Control, so am I. So that's given us some common ground there. And then uh, there's a particular act called Violence Against Women Act, which is actually an act that he authored when he was a United States senator. It's a you know panoply of programs to uh, everything from counseling to battered women's shelters to you know criminal justice support to, to try and uh, uh, lower the number of domestic uh, violence and, and sexual assault crimes in the United States. And that's something I've worked on hard as well. So that, that gives us two good things to talk about. Having said that, 
you know, the opening 100 days, um, uh, you know, we disagree a lot, quite frankly. Depends on which side you talk to, if he's done well or maybe not done well. Yeah, well, again, that's up to everybody has to draw their own conclusion on that. But, you know, I would disagree with him very strongly on things like uh, uh, suspending the Keystone Pipeline, stopping uh, exploration on on federal lands for oil and gas. I think that ultimately going to mean higher prices uh, for the average American consumer, Not we lost a lot of lost, jobs. Lost, just say lost a lot of energy. Lost jobs, a lot yeah. of jobs. So I think that's bad policy. Uh, I think most Republicans would argue the border was pretty secure before President Biden, and he's changed everything down there. And we have uh, the worst influx, honestly, that we've ever had. Uh, and then um, you know he's proposed about ten trillion dollars plus worth of new spending in a hundred days, four and a half trillion. It would be the normal budget with a 10% increase, but then a COVID bill of $1.9 trillion, this infrastructure bill of $2.3 trillion, a $1.8 trillion of family safety net program, which is really an expansion of uh, the entitlement state. Uh, so, um, you know, we disagree there. We disagree, uh, you know, with all this new spending. He basically flat-funded, inflation-adjusted cut the Defense Department. We think that's a mistake. Uh, and uh, in terms of dealing with a pretty assertive China and Russia, Iran, North Korea, uh, I personally disagreed with the Afghan decision, uh, although I think that's a pretty popular decision. I think he probably is where most of the American people are at, and frankly what he's arguing right. for. Talking about removing troops from Afghanistan. Exactly, right. which mm-hmm. President Trump had talked about. Yeah. So, again, you can't say that's a partisan decision. It's just a decision I disagree with, but uh, I would have disagreed with a Republican president that did it too. So, uh, again, I, but on the domestic thing, the, there's, there's just sheer expansion in the size and the scope of government additional regulations that uh, are underway. Uh, President, uh, you know, has done over 60 executive orders and executive actions. That's more than any president in modern history. So, um, you know, he's uh, entering with a bang. I think he's trying to legislate that Washington, the comparisons tend to be with FDR, LBJ, a sort of, you know, great uh, society or New Deal type focus. The problem is, uh, you know, when when, uh, President Roosevelt did that and President Johnson, they had big majorities in the Senate and the House. This president's got a 50-50 United States Senate with a tie-breaking vote, and he's uh, got about a six-vote margin. It's 218 to 212 right now in the House with a few vacancies. So I don't think you can legislate that big on majorities that small uh, indefinitely, and I think you'll see that. He's running some problems with the infrastructure bill. There's a real appetite to do an infrastructure bill. Look, sure. we need to spend money on roads, bridges, highways, um, waterways, ports, broadband, those kinds of things. Uh, there'll be a lot of support for. But, you know, in, in his program for infrastructure, he's got, for instance, $400 million for, excuse me, billion dollars for elder care. That may or may not be a good idea, but it's not what most people think of as infrastructure. There's a lot of spending in these bills, just like in the COVID bill. It didn't have much to do with COVID. Congress had worked very well on COVID. You know, there have been five COVID relief bills in uh, the last year, in 2020. All five of them passed by overwhelming bipartisan majorities. This one, because it was so much bigger, uh, didn't, didn't get a single Republican vote, but it had things like $140 billion to bail out what's called the multi-employer pension funds, mostly union pension funds with no reforms. Uh, you can argue that's a good thing, but again, that's not COVID-related. <laughs> that problem was there before 
thereafter. So, again, there's a lot of spending that we think uh, was unnecessary. We think you could have had a very substantial bill, but one maybe half the size of what uh, the president actually passed. What's scary is having to pay for that. And, you know, we just keep kicking the proverbial can down the road, and it's something's going to something's going to snap here well i think, think it is i mean uh you know it's uh, it's mostly deficit funding the president to his credit has po- has proposed some tax increases uh a 33 percent increase in the corporate income tax it would give us the highest corporate income tax in the world right now we're sort of in the middle range um you know uh, some uh, major taxes on capital gains for the wealthy i, I think it pushes investment out of the market devalues everybody's investment in the market. So if you've got a 401k or an IRA, you're going to pay for it. Um, so it would be the largest increase in taxes in over 50 years. And it still wouldn't, by the way, pay for the programs. The programs are more expensive still. So sooner or later, particularly if you do things like make the first two years of community college free or, the, or two years of free preschool, that is, uh, you know, pre-kindergarten school, um, then uh, somebody's going to have to pay for that. It, it can't all come out of the top 1% any more than Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid does. Everybody pays taxes on those programs uh, because they're so broad-based, involve so many people. That's the only way you can fund them. And honestly, we don't fund them enough. They're all going slowly broke as it is. So maybe we should fix the entitlement programs that we have as opposed to add new ones right now that we, frankly, aren't paying for you uh you you want more bipartisan uh discussions on a lot of the things and it just seems like uh uh the media is polarizing everything and nobody seems to be seems to be getting along too much on a lot of things well i think it's natural for a new administration particularly if they come in uh having won the senate and the house however narrowly to go for broke I mean, because they know they're not going to have all three for very long. And normally you would expect to lose at least one chamber at the midterm as the pendulum swings back a little bit. Uh, So, you know, again, I'm not being critical of that. I just don't think these majorities are big enough to sustain this. COVID is one thing. Um, And, again, that was all on the credit card. These next two proposals have big tax increases with them. uh, And uh, even amongst Democrats are – controversial and you're not going to get rid of the filibuster so you need 60 votes in the senate so i think in the next phase uh, the president's going to have to bargain to get anything done or we'll just drift off into gridlock for two years and i don't think that's a good thing i mean we do need an infrastructure bill we just don't need the one he proposed and we do need for instance a police reform bill two parties are about 70 or 80 percent in agreement on that uh and uh we can get there that would be a a good thing uh there's some other things we can work together on Uh, if the president wants a budget uh that has at least some increases for domestic spending i'm not sure i support that but he's going to have to look at increasing defense spending not holding it flat because republicans are very worried on that that score and i think a lot of democrats are too the national security i I talk a lot to i sit on defense appropriations to our our national security leaders, both on and off the record. And I'll tell you, they're all very worried about China and Russia and the speed at which they're building up, particularly the Chinese. So they, you know, we made major strides in the Trump years, but the idea was we would have several more years of a 3 to 5% real growth in spending for defense. 
uh, president uh, did not propose. They proposed about a one and a half percent increase. Again, not quite enough to keep up with inflation. So uh, uh, again, I, I can see where compromises can come, and I think in the spring and the summer, if the president wants to move forward, he's going to have to do that. Haven't heard much about Korea. What's uh, well? They what's are. Uh, we're, we're worried about that. You know, for whatever reason. Uh, uh, you know, the president and the leader of North Korea, President Trump, had a surprisingly good relation. So we haven't seen any testing of missiles, long-range missiles. We haven't seen any nuclear explosions for about four years now. Uh, I think that's going to change pretty quickly. Um, and, I, you know, I don't blame that necessarily on on the president. I think we're dealing with an unpredictable, dangerous, almost irrational adversary. Uh, but uh, I would expect him to start rattling the cages if only to get some attention. I think Trump knew how to give him attention in ways that kept him from doing bad things. Uh, hopefully we can figure that out going forward. I was pleased that uh, the first meeting uh, that uh, President Biden had in the White House with a foreign leader was actually with the prime minister of Japan, good ally against both China and North Korea. I think that showed the right focus on the most important theater uh, in the coming um, uh, decade or two as we compete more and more with China. So, uh, but, you know, it's going to take more than meetings if you're going to deal with the Chinese. You're going to have to put resources there. And I, I do worry the Chinese are doing a lot of saber rattling about Taiwan. That's the last thing we need, the Chinese invasion of Taiwan. They put... Uh, in a military exercise, 25 airplanes, including about four or five bombers, into Taiwanese airspace uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and that, that's dangerous stuff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that the Taiwanese could respond and provoke. We'd have an international incident, and boom. Uh, all of a sudden, we'd find ourselves in, at war in the, in the you know, Formosa Straits. I don't think that's where any of us want to be at war. Uh, talk about the Space Force, the next arm of the... U.S. military and the development of that. And, you know, that's come along really well. And uh, I'm going to give a plug to a guy uh, nobody here's heard of. You know, President Trump picked that up and, and uh, really embraced it. But the guy whose idea it was, a guy named Mike Rogers from Alabama, who's a classmate of mine. And Mike is now the new Republican-ranking member on the House Armed Services Committee. Um, he's just a tremendous legislator. And uh, we actually put it in the House bill two years before President Trump was in office. We couldn't get the Senate to accept it, but we he's the one that laid out the foundations. Uh, it's off to a really good start. I actually had a meeting last week uh, by Zoom with the head of the Space Force, and um, he was briefing members of the Defense Appropriations Committee one-on-one -on -one about the things we're doing, everything from protecting our own satellites to being able to interdict uh, you know, Chinese and Russian communication in space. Uh, is on the table, and you have to be careful what you talk about. Some of this stuff's classified, but uh, it was a much overdue, uh, you know, um, uh, decision. And uh, I'm glad we're there, and I'm glad this is an area that I think you'll see the uh, Biden administration continue on with what the Trump administration did. There's no idea of not doing it or undoing it or whatever. Quite the opposite. I think. It'll continue to be augmented in the years ahead. I think it's really important for our own security that it is. And since we're talking about space, how about uh, the Mars project? That's pretty exciting. It's pretty it? exciting. You know, yeah. uh, my our old friend, uh, great Oklahoman, uh, Jim Bridenstine, laid down. You know, Jim was a congressman from Tulsa, as many people on this 
um, this uh, uh, session on the show will know. Uh, and uh, he then headed up NASA for four years under President Trump. And so he sort of got us back on track in terms of moving toward Mars and restoring our capability to get to the moon. And we're seeing an interesting combination of private and public partnership in this. You know, SpaceX just brought back four astronauts uh, uh, from the space station. They're talking about building their own space station to replace the International Space Station, which will become obsolete at some point in not too distant future. Um, and uh, they're working with the federal government on, again, capability of getting to Mars. So, uh, we're, you know, again, I, my hope is we will stay on this course. I mean, I think uh, we sort of let the uh, particular, you know, the idea of if you're my age, that we had to fly into space on Russian rockets yeah. Uh, yeah. and that we let the Chinese sort of beat us on uh, on putting an uh, unmanned probe on the dark side of the moon. And those are dangerous things. I want the next person that walks on the moon again to be an American, uh, and I certainly want the first person uh, on Mars to be an American. And, uh, you know, we sort of set back and— uh, it's not that we didn't do things. Uh, we've done some brilliant things in terms of long-range— uh, exploration of our own solar system and and beyond, and but we sort of let the manned portion of this atrophy after uh, after we we got out of the shuttle business, and um, that's been a mistake. Other countries have caught up. We need to get back in this, and we are. Let's talk about the border situation now, where uh, it's uh, we've seen some really terrible things down there for several months. It, it's and, uh, this is to it's, me is a very clear policy of our clear illustration that policy matters. Uh, and there were a couple things the Trump administration did that made a big difference. One of them was something called the wait in Mexico policy, which means if you arrived at our border illegally and penetrating and you were claiming asylum, uh, okay, you have the right to claim asylum, but you have to wait in Mexico until we adjudicate it. Uh, because and, and over 80 percent of the people that claim asylum aren't eligible for asylum. I, I don't blame them for trying to get in the United States, but they're not eligible. Uh, and, but once they got in, it's awfully hard to find them. They'd be waiting on a court case. You'd send out the request. They come back. We either couldn't find them again to deliver the request or they didn't respond. Uh, so decided, people didn't want to wait in Mexico eight months, so they didn't come. Uh, and there's about an eight-month delay on, a, on uh, one of these hearings. Another uh, uh, thing that uh, the president had was border barriers, and border barriers make a difference. Whether you, um, They're not the only answer, but they do funnel the population. I've been to the border multiple times. Any Border Patrol agent uh, will tell you this, this slows people down. It, it channels them toward people where we can concentrate resources. It makes a big difference. And, you know, anytime you get a surge, you're not only getting a surge in people, you're getting a surge in human trafficking, you're getting a surge in illegal drugs. Uh, We've seen contract. some terrible videos. It, 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 well, we stopped 172,000 people in March. Uh, that's a record. And uh, we didn't stop everybody coming across the border. And a lot of those people got to stay. Now, if you're Mexican, we can take you back immediately. If you're Mexican, we catch you, you go back. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're from beyond Mexico, that's not true. Another thing that the president sort of let lapse, President Biden, that President Trump had done, was uh, we negotiated agreements with the, um, the Northern Triangle countries, Honduras, El Salvador, and um, uh, Guatemala. And this is the source of a lot of these unaccompanied minors, big part of the problem. Uh, 
uh, and to hold people there or they'd have to make the decision in country. So, again, that slowed things down. And uh, it's just been a disaster. I mean, they got rid of a lot of Trump policies without putting anything else in place, without providing additional security along the border without providing additional facilities to house people that are apprehended. So it, it's just a mess, and it's getting worse. Uh, and I think the only way to change it is to go back to a lot of the policies that President Trump had initiated. But that's politically difficult for the Biden administration. I get it. But, you know, just just talk to the Border Patrol. They're being overrun down there. And, again, when they're taking care of people that have arrived illegally, they're not patrolling to stop people that are bringing in drugs and, uh, and, and even worse, bringing in other human beings for some sort of exploitation, usually young people for some sort of sexual purposes that are just god-awful mm-hmm. that young, young girls and young boys are caught in. So, again, I think it's a, it's a national failure uh, by the Biden administration. I, I have no doubt it will be a major political issue going forward unless they can do something to reverse it because border had gotten pretty much under control uh president biden comes in changes everything and it's not in control so it's sort of hard to avoid responsibility for that one so what do you see maybe um the security maybe uh cutting back a little bit at the nation's capital there's still is it still uh, Aftermath of the insurrection? It's come back some. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. we at the height had 5,000 National Guard uh, personnel there. We're down to, I think, 2,300, 2,400 now. We had two perimeter fences. One of those is gone. The razor wire is off the one uh, that's uh, closest to the Capitol, Independence and Constitution, the two main boulevards that flank the Capitol. Uh, running east and west are are both now uh, open again. They were closed for quite a while. Um, the National Guard mission actually ends about the end of May, I think 23rd or 24th, but toward the end of the month. Uh, I actually talked this morning with uh, uh, General Jensen, who's the head of the National Guard, and this was one of the issues that came up. And we've spent close to $450 million on this mission. It's expensive, and it's drained the Guard of a lot of the training funds. We're going to get that restored, obviously. But I think there have been too many there too long. Look, uh, time to end that. Uh, if we need to do extra law enforcement things, and we probably do. I mean, that uh, we certainly needed new leadership. They weren't ready for what happened. Um, you know, then uh, then that's, uh, that's something for Congress to do. But this is, this is a law enforcement mission. This is not a military mission. This is not where you want your National Guard. Although I'm very grateful for the ones that came and – I tell you, everybody can be proud of them. They certainly conducted themselves in a first-class way, and uh, um, it's a typical National Guard deal. They don't pick the missions. They just do the missions they're told to do, and they they did this one and did it very well, Uh, and that's no big surprise to me. But it's not a mission we should be asking them to do on any kind of regular routine basis. I know the Guard feels very strongly about that. They do not want a permanent role in policing uh, the Capitol. They think, again, uh, that's up to the, the appropriate federal authorities, the Capitol Police, the, the District of Columbia Police. Uh, you know, we have, have a lot of Secret Service around the Capitol because you have high-profile targets like the Speaker and the Minority Leader and the President Pro Tem and the Majority Leader of the Senate. Senate those kind of people are the Minority Leader of the Senate. So, um, you know, let's, uh, we've had a couple of studies done on things that we need to do. Now Congress needs to make some decisions. They need to be bipartisan decisions on what the appropriate level of security is. 
personally, you know, I want the Capitol to open back up. I want the tourists to be able to come. I want school kids there. Um, you know, I want the people that have business seeing their senators and representatives to have access to those offices again. Uh, that's just that's the kind of country we are. And, um, you know, we shouldn't uh, let ourselves be held hostage by uh, what happened uh, inexcusably on January 6th. Again, there's no excuse for anybody that was there and violated the law, just none. Uh, you know, when you go, once you go past a barrier that says no entry or past a cop that's telling you no, and you're responsible, and uh, you ought to be held responsible for that, and I'm glad we're doing that. What's, uh, what's on the agenda for, uh, for the summer? You know, getting uh, reacquainted with my district again, yeah. you know, when I'm, <laughs> when I'm home. I, it's, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of how bad it was. Uh, the last district break was the first time I was able to travel in almost a year. And in this district, uh, second largest employer is Fort Sill Army Post. So the commander of Fort Sill is a pretty important person to you. And you usually, uh, anytime there's changed command, I use them there within two weeks to meet the new new uh, uh, commanding general. Uh, general Camper's down there now, and he'd been there a year before we had a face-to-face -face meeting. Now, we'd had a chance to talk, but uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying that. Second, um, they move the appropriations process on. Uh, you know, we have to fund the government, have to fund the military, make sure the federal government doesn't shut down. And then uh, hopefully we can come to a compromise on this uh, uh, infrastructure package. I think that's a needed thing, and I don't think the Democrats have the votes to ram it through. So let's sit down and find a deal that we all think is appropriate. We don't disagree very much, honestly, on roads, bridges, waterways, ports. Yeah, those things, those things those are necessary. Things we agree. We think but they're the, necessary. The added we, things are the things that we can, we can kind exactly. of read out there. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. And uh, that's, that's where I think the president's going to have to back off some of his uh, demands. But again, you know, it's, it's uh, up, up to presidents to propose. It's up to Congress to dispose. I don't blame any president or any party if they got the votes. Uh, they, they can do it. But I don't think they have the votes on these next two packages. Congressman Tom Cole, our guest today. Congressman, thank you very much. George, great to be with you again.